Hello. It's March 29th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is a special edition of 90s Crime Time. Welcome to this brand new special edition episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all had a great weekend and had a great start to your week. And as many of you know, usually the special edition episodes of 90s Crime Time consist of smaller, what I call minisodes, which this one is today. And I'll go ahead and warn you that this case talks about a child's murder and attempted murder, so listener's discretion is advised. And with that, let's dive in to today's case. The year was nineteen ninety seven. And in the bustling city of Corpus Christi, Texas, many residents here enjoyed spending a lot of time outdoors because Corpus Christi sits on the coast of the state. Many people here like to fish, swim, and skate along the shoreline. Or if people wanted something more mild to do outdoors, many people took a brisk walk or enjoyed bird watching. If the indoors were more of their thing, lots of residents and visitors alike flocked to the nearby attractions, such as Corpus Christi's Aquarium or one of their many shopping malls. And although no city is perfect, many people were proud to call Corpus Christi home, and most felt safe in their neighborhoods. But on a cool fall night in September 1997, an awful murder and attempted murder would occur in this city that would leave many people scared. And when they found out who the victims were, many would be left angry. In the following case, you'll find out the horrible crime that had happened. The investigation and the aftermath in a case I title, Failed Vengeance. By 1997, 25-year-old John Richard Balthazar seemed to be an angry and troubled young man. Not much is known about his personal life, but according to reports, some of John's family described him as a loving little boy growing up, who was also a Cub Scout. But other reports state that while it may have been true, 
As John got older, something changed, and John was apparently no longer that loving boy. Reports state that as he was growing up, he allegedly witnessed his stepfather abuse his mother, and he was allegedly abused by his stepfather himself. The trauma of the abuse apparently affected John so much that as the years went by, John took out his feelings on the world. One report states that by the time John turned 14, he got into a fight with an 11-year-old boy, and he beat the boy so bad that he was ordered to pay restitution to him and his family. Also during this time, John frequently skipped school, and he eventually dropped out altogether. To escape his stepfather's alleged abuse even further, John rarely stayed at his mother's home and ran away frequently to the shack across the street from the house. Even though he sort of got away from the chaos when he fled to the shed, things only got worse for John. Later in his teen years, John got arrested for a slew of charges, including burglary, assault, and even auto theft, in which he served time in and out of juvenile detention, and after he turned 18, he was now being committed to adult prisons. One report states that once John was sent away to prison for burglary of a building, he threatened a prison guard, and he frequently fought with fellow inmates. Things got so intense with John that after a while of serving time, John requested to be housed with the local gang called the Texas Syndicate a gang that compromised mostly of Mexican-Americans. It's not clear as to why John requested to be housed with the gang, but according to reports, the gang was known in the prison system to protect fellow Mexican-Americans, usually from other demographics, just in case things got of hand, like a fight amongst each other while in custody. As the years went on, according to reports, John showed no signs of stopping his life of crime. By 1997, John had been sentenced to a range of sentences for different crimes, from eight months to several years. However, even as his crime progressed, reports state most of John's crimes had virtually no violence. But by September 1997, that all changed. By September 1997, by now, John had been living with his roommate named Johnny Gonzalez. On the morning of September 27th, by 9 a.m., John had been drinking a lot of alcohol, and he was angry. This was because John received word that his mother Susie had been allegedly assaulted by her ex-boyfriend, Ted Kirillar, with the baseball bat. And he wanted revenge. 
Twelve hours later, reports state John approached Johnny and his girlfriend, who were sitting in Johnny's girlfriend's car, and told them his mom was attacked by Ted, and that he was going to quote-unquote take care of it. And after, he requested Johnny's help, and Johnny agreed. So John drove off with his 14-year-old nephew to a convenience market, and they were followed by Johnny and his girlfriend. They all filled up their tanks with gas. Then John stopped to pick up his girlfriend, Linda, and another one of Johnny's nephews, and they made their way to the home of Jose Mourinho's and Matilda Kular. The group made their way to Jose and Matilda's home because Matilda was Ted's sister and Ted mostly lived with them and he was known to sleep in the front of the house. Meanwhile, as the group made their way to the home, Matilda's daughter, five-year-old Adriana Mariñas and her cousin, ten-year-old Vanessa Mariñas were having a sleepover and were huddled in the front of the house watching the movie Sleeping Beauty. Matilda and Jose were in their bedroom when suddenly Matilda heard some loud bangs. She jumped up to see what was going on, and as she walked out of the bedroom door, she saw a man standing in her hallway with a gun, and another man standing next to him. When Jose got closer to the hallway, He was shot in the face and neck by the man holding the gun, and then the two men fled the scene. After the shooting, even though Jose was injured, what the two adults didn't realize until moments later was that Adriana and Vanessa had been shot as well. Emergency personnel arrived, and once they got to the scene, They tended to Jose and Vanessa, who were critically injured. And unfortunately, Matilda and Jose learned the unfortunate news that their daughter, five-year-old Adriana, did not survive her injuries after being shot twice in her head. Even though the shock and sadness of losing their daughter was fresh, when police arrived to question her about what happened, Matilda told police about what she witnessed, and as the interrogation was happening, Ted came by. He told police he thought that his ex-girlfriend's son John could be a suspect, because he knew John was hostile towards him and the relationship he had with his mother Susie. He also told police that he was actually assaulted by John and some of his relatives earlier in the year after he and Susie apparently had another incident, and John fought him to avenge Susie. Meanwhile, back at the scene, detectives saw that the killer, or killers, kicked in the door of the Mourinho's home and saw a shoe print left on the door. 
Hours later on the 28th, police were able to find John and questioned him about the shooting at his apartment. And interestingly, police noticed the shoes John had on. When they requested he take them off, they looked at the bottom of his shoes and noticed quickly that they matched the shoe print that was left on Matilda and Jose's door. Later on, police learned John was on parole for a recent robbery and that he was supposed to be spending his nights at home only. After they learned this, they obtained a search warrant to John and Johnny's place to see if they could find any more clues. And they did after they spotted surveillance equipment that showed that Johnny left the home before the shooting and returned shortly thereafter. More than likely meaning John was involved with the shootings. But they didn't arrest John right then and there for the shootings. But they did arrest him for parole violation. The day after John was questioned, a tip came into police and named Johnny as being at the scene as well. Police caught up with Johnny, and when he was questioned, he denied any involvement and told detectives that he had been passed out drunk at home the entire night of the shootings. However, witnesses in the Mourinho's neighborhood witnessed the cars that fled from the scene, and when they were described, they matched Johnny's and John's cars they were riding in. Detectives also later learned that they were not alone and questioned John and Johnny's girlfriends and their nephews that were with them that night. Although it's not clear what Johnny's girlfriend and the nephews told police, John's girlfriend Linda told police she waited outside in the car with Johnny's nephew and claimed to have been asleep by the time they arrived at the Mourinho's home. She said she was awoken by the sound of gunshots and the screams of Johnny's nephew, who was kicking the front seat. When she woke up, she saw John and Johnny running from the house towards the cars. Both men then got in the cars and fled the scene. She, nor the nephews or Johnny's girlfriend, were charged with any crime. After gathering witness testimony and doing a little more investigating, police announced to the public that they would charge and arrest John Baltazar and Johnny Gonzalez for the murder of Adriana Mourinhas and the attempted murders of Jose and Vanessa Mourinhas. Since John was already in jail for the parole violation, it was no trouble in finding him. But police sought out Johnny, who was not at his residence at the time of the indictment. A week later, however, after a warrant was issued for his arrest, Johnny turned himself in, was arrested when he made it to the police station, and he made a written statement regarding his involvement in the shootings. However, in a strange twist of events, after he was brought to trial, Johnny pled not guilty. But in September 1997, a jury found him guilty of capital murder and two counts of aggravated assault. And shortly after being found guilty, Johnny was sentenced to 80 years in prison with parole after 40 years. 
Meanwhile, in March 1998, John's trial started. And on March 4th, Vanessa Marinas, who was shot in the chest by John, described what she witnessed on the night of the shootings. She told the court that two men kicked down the door and started shooting. She then named John as the person who shot she and her cousin Adriana. She also added that she didn't even realize she had been shot until she started to cough up blood. After Vanessa's testimony, Jose testified that since he was shot in the mouth as soon as he got out of bed to check on what was going on, he didn't see John or Johnny. But Matilda testified and named John as the shooter, like Vanessa said. John's attorneys did not deny John's involvement, but they tried to persuade the jury to be lenient on him since he had a rough and abusive upbringing. However, on March 9, 1998, John Richard Balthazar was found guilty of capital murder and aggravated assault. And on March 11th, he was sentenced to two life sentences for the aggravated assault of Jose and Vanessa Marinas, and he was sentenced to death for the murder of Adriana. After he was sent to prison, John did an interview with a local newspaper and said he felt remorse for shooting Adriana and Vanessa. He said that when he went looking for Ted, he didn't see him outside, so he broke in the home and said it was dark and he just started shooting and hit the young girls on accident. However, he said he didn't have any remorse for shooting Jose because he jumped up and startled him when he came in out of the bedroom and was mad at the alleged confrontation. And lastly, he chuckled and said that he was still angry he couldn't get to his original target, Ted. Fast-forwarding to January 2003, a death warrant was signed by Texas Governor Rick Perry for John's execution. Once again, shortly after the warrant was signed, John expressed remorse for killing Adriana and shooting Vanessa, but still no remorse for Jose. He also added he wasn't afraid to die, but didn't think what he deserved was death. On January 14th, he was given the option for a final meal, and John requested Cool Whip and cherries. But it was turned down because the prison didn't have those options in stock. And on the next day, on the 15th, a little before 6 p.m., John Balthazar was led to the death chamber and was strapped on the gurney. John declined to give a final statement, and after the lethal dosage was administered to him, John Balthazar was pronounced dead at 6.16 p.m. He was 30 years old. After his execution, John was buried at Captain Joe Bird Prison Cemetery. Johnny Gonzalez remains in prison and is eligible for parole in 2037. The story of the murder of Adriana Marinas comes from the sources of the Corpus Christi Caller Times, My Plain View, Clark Prosecutor, and others I'll put in the notes.
All right. I know that case may have been a little hard for some of you um, because I know a lot of people get triggered by child murders, which totally understandable because um, it was so unavoidable and so stupid how um, John and Johnny rode up there and attacked the family because they were looking for Ted. And they were so stupid. I don't care if they were drunk or not, but they were so stupid that they didn't even realize that he wasn't home and that they had to go and bust in the house and got the wrong people. He, they shouldn't have tried to kill Ted either. I don't know. Maybe they, give me like the old fashioned way, just beat him up if they felt that, you know, he attacked John's mother. And now look where John is. John is dead. He's been executed and he was buried in a prison cemetery, which I didn't know until recently that people who are buried in prison cemeteries more than likely have family that did not want to claim them. And that is really awful. That's really sad because apparently he had family, but they didn't want to claim him allegedly. And um, Johnny is there for 80 years and he may or may not get paroled in 2037. That's when the, his first parole hearing can be. And that's decades from when he went in in 1997. Like, that's so unfortunate and stupid. And they threw their lives away, literally trying to avenge John's mother. And just an update, I read also little Vanessa, her injuries, um, when she got shot in the chest, um, the bullet was lodged too far to her heart. So last thing I checked was that she has gonna, is going to have to pretty much live with this bullet in her chest unless something has changed recently. And I hope she's okay um, because she was only three years older than me and um, Adriana was two years younger than me. That's so sad and just so crazy. And he didn't even, John didn't even care to the day he died that he uh, wounded, heavily wounded Jose and that he was still pissed he could not get to Ted. Like to the day he died. And that was a sober brain because you can't drink alcohol in prison. So he, to the day he died, he had no remorse over the two adults that could have died under his hand. And that's just really, really mucked up and sad to me. All of all of it's sad. And um, I don't know how the defense thought that uh, John's rough upbringing, alleged rough upbringing, was going to sway the jury. Because everybody knows that Texas does not play when you kill somebody. You may luck up and get life sentences, or you may luck up like Johnny and not get technical life, but you may get like decades and then get an opportunity for parole. But I guess the jury thought that what John did was so heinous, which it was, that he deserved death. And that's how it went. He died five years after being found guilty. And that was no time, in my opinion, because I know a lot of people across the country spend decades on death row, appealing and appealing and all that, but I guess his appeals ran out and he was executed just five years after being found guilty and sentenced and only 30 years old. Like, that's a shame. But that's it. Thank you for tuning in to this brand new special edition minisode of 90s Crime Time. And I hope you found this case interesting. And if you want, you can always follow uh, 90s Crime Time on Instagram if you have the app and tell me what you think about this case there. If you liked what you heard, meaning the content of the show, and you haven't done so already, please rate the show on Apple or Spotify since they have a rating system. I'd really appreciate it. Um, if you didn't like this episode or think I could do better on 90s Crime Time, please let me know in the ratings as well. Believe it or not, I do try my hardest to do the show the best I can, but I know there's always room for improvement. I'm learning new skills every day 
learning from the people and uh, fellow podcasters. And I really do try, believe it or not. And also, before I go, I'd like to let you know that there will be a full length episode released tomorrow. And it is one of the saddest and grossest cases I've ever heard. And it's vile. So yeah, prepare for that. But well, let me add lastly, lastly, and this is very important to me. There was a school shooting, as most of you know, in Nashville, Tennessee, a few days ago. And that is near where I grew up. And I want to shout out to the Nashville community. Um, I've no longer lived there, but shout out to Nashville's community. Um, I didn't know anybody who, I didn't know anybody who uh, went to that school or lost their lives, but I just want to give a shout out to Nashville, sending prayers, spirits, uh, not spirits, but good spirits, good vibes to you down there and prayers to all the families. I do believe something needs to change with this country as far as legislation and easy access to guns, but that's a whole different story. But like I said, um, good vibes and good spirits back home to Tennessee and to Nashville. And with that, stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you soon for the brand new episode, full-length episode of 90s Crime Time.